Hebrews chapter 9. This morning, as we were having our time of prayer at 9 o'clock, and you're welcome to join us. We have prayer each Sunday morning at 9 o'clock from 9 to 10. Um, we meet in a room in the back. Uh, what we would recognize it as the old teen hut. It's funny how, I, I don't know what we call that room at this point, that, that room back there. And uh, so we, uh, we meet back there and we have a time of prayer. And while we were praying, when it became my turn to pray, and we were praying about the, uh, the morning services, different things, but as I was praying about this message, I just was telling the Lord how aware I am. Chapters 8, 9, and 10 are one thing. And it's very difficult to preach that message without jumping back and forth and around as we look at different portions of it from week to week. If you listen to your Bible or read your Bible, if you read your Bible in pieces, uh, I, I have a, probably most of you, everybody can have this at this point, uh, I have a, an app on my phone that I use to listen to uh, my Bible. And I listen to my Bible often when I'm driving. It's roughly a 20-minute drive, depending upon lights. It's roughly a 20-minute drive from the office from here at the church to, to, uh, to my house. And then, of course, I spend a lot of time driving to, to hospitals and, and, and things like that, making visits. But what you'll realize is that if you were to sit down and read uh, Hebrews 8, 9, and 10, it would take you probably less than 15 minutes to read Hebrews 8, 9, and 10. And every Sunday morning when I preach, I preach somewhere between 30 and 45 minutes on just a small portion of that. When we go out, we leave the passage to go to other passages that expose what it is that we're looking at. But if I just read for 15 minutes every Sunday, and I've, and I've, and I've even considered doing this, the difficulty with this is we have a, a low appreciation for the reading of the Word of God. And, and here's the thing, if I did it and said, well, we're going to do it anyway, bless God, many of you would just not hear it. So I would read, and for roughly 15 minutes, you would think about what you're having for lunch, whether Duke can win this afternoon or not, whatever would run through your mind. Because that's, it's amazing to me that, that, that that's how low a view or care or desire we have for God's Word. When you think about the fact that, you know, this seems like a large book to many people, but this is God's revelation to us, and it's how He speaks to us, and it's really very, there's not much here, honestly. When you actually start spending time in it, you begin to realize that, that He isn't saying a great number of things. He says, I love you. I don't want you to perish. You're in trouble because of yourself. I want to rescue you from yourself. I want to walk with you now. Brother Don said this morning in the Sunday school lesson that he and I were talking about this on Friday. The gospel has been reduced in America kind of to this. Here is an invitation to go to heaven. Would you like it? Surely you don't want to go to hell when you die. No, no, I don't want to go to hell when I die. Well, then good. You should probably go to heaven. Yeah, I'd like to go to heaven. Good, then believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And people say, okay, I'll do that. How do I do that? Well, say this prayer. Okay, I'll say that prayer. 
Ta-da! Your bonus points if you get baptized. I mean, really. There's a, you know, there's an, I mean, not that, not that, you know, my, my life before I was saved was not a godly life. And there's an old Elton John song, and some of you don't know who that is, and some of you unfortunately do. Um, but there's a, song, there's a line in the song where it says, handing tickets out for God. And, um, and he's making reference to them handing out tracts as if they were go-to-heaven tr- tickets. But see, that's largely what's true in the United States of America. But see, listen, the gospel isn't about going to heaven when you die. The gospel is about having life. You don't have life without the Son of God. You don't have life. What you have, if you're here this morning and you have religion, any religion, I don't care if it's Christianity is your religion. If you have religion, what you have is your righteousness, and therefore you have the the wrath of God abiding on you because your righteousness is not righteous. And God doesn't want that to be the case. So the gospel, the good news is, I don't want you to live dead for the rest of your life, and I don't want you to go to the lake of fire after that. I really want to give you life now. I want to make you a new creature now. I want to change you now. Amen? And you know what? Those who have been made new creatures, who are really born again, recognize, understand, and testify... Joe, I hear Joe saying, amen, amen, amen. Joe Rundle is the perfect example of American Christianity for years. Joe is over 18 now by a couple of years, a little bit. And he has been a professing Christian for many years now. When they joined the church, when they joined, listen, when they joined the church, they joined the church based upon their testimony of being born again before they came here and having been new creatures already, and they moved here from his last duty station, which was in Japan, and they were looking for a good church, and they believed this is where God would have them to be. And as we were talking about something that he was, he made a question about something he had heard in one of the messages while they were visiting, and they visited for a while before they joined. This is what he said. With tears in his eyes, and I'm not joking, with tears in his eyes, sitting in my office, he said, Pastor, do you really believe that I can have the kind of relationship that you're talking about with God? And my answer was, Joe, I don't, be- I don't just believe it. I know it. And in fact, I will say this. If you don't have this relationship, it's because you will not have this relationship. Because God desires for all of us to have this relationship. And so, and so, and they joined the church. And I looked at Joe like many people who join a church. They move from one place to another. He just, wherever he's been, it probably was a good church, and they probably, probably preached the truth, but he either didn't hear or they didn't preach some things that he needed to hear, and he just never grew like he should have. And so he's kind of a stunted Christian, but he should be able to, being around godly men here, being around the Word of God here, he should be able to grow. This should be a, a benefit, a, a plus to him. And I, don't, I cannot tell you how many times Joe came to see I can I mean, so many times Joe came to see me after a service. And he would say, I don't know how he worded it exactly. I'm not getting it. Pastor, I'm not getting it. I'm not getting it. I'm bothered. I'm not getting it. And then the tent meeting came. And during the tent meeting, he came to see me a number of times. And this was, and this is, I do remember what he said. I don't have peace. And he was scared. I, just like my son Andrew, by the way. I, I don't have peace. I just don't have peace. 
Why don't I have peace? And that was the question. Pastor, why don't I have peace? And here was my answer. I don't know why. I said, there are two reasons why you don't have peace. There's two reasons to not have peace. One is there's unrepented of sin in your life. You know it's there, and you won't repent of it, and God is dealing with you about that. And so the child of God cannot be at peace when there's unrepented of sin in their life. Or you're not a new creature, and the wrath of God abides upon you, and therefore you're afraid because the wrath of God abides upon you, and you need to be saved. If you remember, the 21st day of that tent meeting, which was a Sunday morning, and, and we had our Sunday, we had every night that we had our tent meeting, we had 7 p.m. services, just like we will this year. But our Sunday morning services, and there were two of them, or three of them, ended up being three of them during the tent meeting, we had in here as normal, and I preached. So I preached Sunday morning, that Sunday morning, I preached a service. When I got done, very similar to what Patty Crump did one night during the tent meeting, Joe just got up, started to walk down. He stood right about in front of where that young boy was just shaking. He stood right here, and he said, it's pride. Just, I'm still standing here. Pastor, it's pride. It's pride. It's my pride that's kept me from being saved, and I need to be saved. And the two of us went back into my office together, and he got saved. Now, he could have stood right there and got saved. Me go, us going to, just gave him an opportunity to say out loud what he needed. In other words, I was completely unnecessary for his salvation. But Jesus was necessary for his salvation. And repentance was necessary for salvation. To repent means to change the way you think. To say, I'm wrong about how I've been looking at this. I've been looking at this as if somehow I had been given an opportunity now to please God, and I was trying to please God, and I'm not pleasing God, because you can't please God. And he needed the blood of Christ to cleanse him from all sin. And I've testified to this publicly, and I'll say it again right now as part of this message because I think it's significant. Just a few weeks ago, shaking hands, you know, everybody knows what a blabbermouth his wife is. Just can't get her to be quiet, right? She's so quiet. Eureka is so quiet. And I was shaking hands, and I was saying hi, and I said hi to her, and she said hi, and she stopped me. She took my hand, she, she took it with the, her other hand, so I, so I couldn't let go, and I couldn't walk away. And she smiled. I could have still walked away, probably. I just would have to take her with me. <laughs> but I stopped, and I leaned over, and she said this, Pastor, there's such a change in my husband. This is what she said. He went to church before. He tried to do the right thing and be a good husband before, but God has changed him. Amen? Amen? That's salvation. God has changed him. That's what salvation is. American, American Christianity is, is not shallow. That would be, that would be, um, would be, that would be too kind of thing to say about it. American Christianity isn't shallow. American Christianity purports to say you can be selfish Live like you want, just don't lose your ticket. And that's not salvation. Now, I think American Christianity is seeking to combat earning your way to heaven. 
Because if, if I do good things, if I do good things, then I'm earning something. And if I'm earning something, then I'm earning my way to heaven. And surely I can't earn my way to heaven. No, you can't. No, you can't. But if you're a new creature, your life has changed. The Bible's very clear about this. Old things are, behold, all things are become new. The end of the commandment, the goal of all of this is charity. Love out of a pure heart and a good conscience and faith unfeigned. Galatians chapter 5, verse 20 says, 22 says, and the fruits of the Spirit are, and they're love, joy, peace, faith, temperance, long-suffering, goodness, gentle, meekness. These are, these, are, these are normal behavior for the child of God. This is normal. You say, well, that's not what my life is like. Maybe you're not a child of God. Maybe you're not a child of God. Oh, no, I really believe in Jesus. Satan really believes in Jesus. But it isn't doing him any good. All, all of the demons recognize Jesus immediately. Immediately. It didn't do him any good at all. Believing that there is a Christ and having the forgiveness of sins are two different things. Now, I say this to help you. This is not sent, this is, you know, uh, I have no interest in drumming up your try hard. I have every interest in causing you to recognize, I need to stop trying. I need to give up, humble myself and die. I need to understand that I need a righteousness that isn't mine. The book of Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews, in chapter, again, I feel like I want to say this over and over again. Chapter, in Hebrews chapter 5. He says, I want to tell you about how great Jesus is, but it's hard to talk about because you're dull of hearing. You know, it's interesting, in in the passage that Don was preaching this morning, as Jesus was speaking in parables, and his disciple says, why do you speak in parables? And he says, because they don't want to hear. That's what he says, because they don't want to hear. But one of the things he says is this, their hearts are gross. They are dull of hearing. Their eyes... They have closed. So the idea of being dull of hearing isn't stupid. When when the apostle says to the Hebrews, you're dull of hearing, he's not saying they're dumb. What he's saying is this, you don't care. You don't care. You don't care. And here's the thing. Do you care? And I mean this, I mean, this is this is my question to you simply as a man, not as your pastor, not as the preacher, just as a man. Do you care? Today, if you would hear what Jesus wanted to say. Today, if you will hear his voice. And what's interesting is that's actually the question. Will you hear his voice? And the answer is yes, then harden not your heart. And now what's interesting is this is you're sitting there and you're thinking, preacher, preach a good enough message so I can get something out of it. No, no, no. Do you want to hear the voice of God or not? Yes or no? If you do, then here's the thing. If you will to hear what God wants for you, and I don't preach it, You'll read your Bible all by yourself. Eventually, you would just leave. I don't want to go to this church anymore because I want to hear what Jesus wants me to hear. I need to hear what Jesus wants me to hear. I want a relationship with God. It's all I live for because that's what life is, and this is life eternal. John 17, 3, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. That's what it is. But not in heaven someday. Now. Now, 
Listen, if you don't delight in the Lord Jesus Christ now, what makes you think you would delight in him in heaven? If you're sitting here this morning and you had no time in your Bible this week, none, no personal quiet time in the word of God, and I'm not talking about I do it because I'm supposed to. I mean it wasn't a love letter. You didn't enjoy time with God. It wasn't sweet and precious to you personally. I would be nervous. I would be nervous. You know, I was talking, I was, I, was, I was speaking with somebody, they were giving their testimony, and they were giving their testimony about something God has done wonderfully in their life, and they're hoping to see it continue, and my, my encouragement was, my testimony was this, I believe that God will continue that in your life. When I was saved, when I was saved at the age of 22 years old, I, I mean, if I talked about my life before I was saved, it would be somewhat remarkable, my life before I was saved, in a, ter- in a bad way, it would be somewhat remarkable. But if I were to tell you honestly that since Jesus saved me, that those things aren't true in my life anymore. No more drugs, no more drinking, no more women other than my wife, no more fighting, no more lying, no more stealing. These things are just not true about me anymore. You would think I was bragging, but I'm not bragging, except for that Jesus is able to make you not live like that anymore. Amen? There There weren't 10, 12, 14 steps to my program. And I tried those programs, don't get me wrong. The government spent a lot of money trying to fix my life. And then Jesus changed me. I didn't, listen, I didn't do that. Church didn't do that. My pastor didn't do that. Jesus did that. I was saved on a med cruise. In, 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 med cruise, that's the Mediterranean. It's where the Navy goes. It's one of the many places that the Navy goes. It's where they are today, praise God, trying to keep us safe. There was no church when I got saved. There was the chaplains, and there are some good chaplains, but there weren't any on that cruise. So there was no place to hear the gospel except for in little pockets of Bible studies where other Christians were. And so I, listen, I didn't, there were no programs. There was no how to not, not drink anymore. There was no how not get in bar fights anymore. There, was, there were no programs about any of this. But you know what? This is what I found. And this, let me say this. Jesus is who he says he is. Jesus is exactly who he says he is. He has all the power that he says that he has, and he changed me. Now, I did not realize, I did not realize what a terrible, I mean, I knew what, I thought I knew what a wretch I was when I was saved, but I didn't know what a wretch I was when I was saved. The worst thing, the worst part of me, the worst part of you is pride. By the way, you can become a great Bible scholar, a great student at Bible college and seminary. You can be called to the ministry and still have your pride. Because we don't look at that like we should in the ministry. We look, again, we want our pastor to be excellent. The problem is this. We don't really want our pastor to be excellent. We want Jesus to be excellent because he is. We want our pastor to be confident about how excellent Jesus is. And we want the word of God exposed to us honestly. That's what we really want. But you really want your pastor to be full of the power of God, full of the Holy Ghost. And guess what? God is not filling a man that's full of pride. He's just not. He's just not. It doesn't matter how eloquent your speech is. It doesn't matter how pretty your preaching is. You know, we had, uh, we had visitors uh, um, uh, a couple weeks ago after the message. And when the message was over, the, the, the couple of visitors, young men, came to say what a blessing the message was. And one of them said, you know... Um, the church that I come from, our pastor is a good preacher, 
but all of, his, all of his points are alliterated. All of his sermons are very cleverly laid out. And I said, mine used to be too. I said, you know, it, it, ironically, you learn when you're in Bible college and seminary, if you don't start that way, what you realize is that those who do their sermons that way and the, and the, and the best guest speakers do their sermons that way, you just learn, well, I just need to be clever. I got to make this memorable. That's the, that's the key word, by the way. When you, when you preach your, your, your sermons in acrostics and alliterations, that makes it memorable for the hearer. But here's the problem. God has a good vocabulary. He's kind of smart. If he wanted it to be alliterated and he wanted it to be full of acrostics, he would have put it together that way. But guess what words matter? These. These. And, and, and God just rebuked me. Get out of my way, Chuck. It's not your word. It's my word. And I don't want them to think you're clever because you're not. What I want them to remember at 2 o'clock in the morning is, what does the verse actually say? What does the passage actually say? Amen? Isn't this, isn't this important? Now, you know, the irony is this two it's, it's noon. We haven't even started to look at the passage. I, had to share, I, have such a bur- I have such a burden that each and every one of you would trust Jesus as he is. And the only way to know how Jesus is is through the word of God. All of our discipleship classes, all of our studies, all of our ministries in nursing homes, jails, brig, the, the, the one down the street to the children, all of those ministries, none of them mean anything if they're not being exposed to the Lord Jesus Christ as he is revealed in his own word. Amen? That's what matters. That's what matters. All right, now just a moment. Let's take a moment to go to Hebrews chapter 9. A few moments. Look at it this way. There's no sermon tonight. I don't want you to be cheated. So Hebrews chapter 9. In Hebrews chapter 9, if you go with us, you find in verses 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, all of this is speaking of the first tabernacle. Now, we'll go to verse 6. Now, when these things were thus ordained, the priest went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. Picture this. Let's picture this. It really helps me a great deal um, if, I can, if I can visualize what God is saying. So let's visualize this. There is a tabernacle or a temple, depending upon what time in Israel's history we're talking about. But what this equates to, when we, let's just talk about the tabernacle. What this equates to is basically what appears to be a really large tent. But the tent walls on the outside, if you're seeing it from the outside, what you'll recognize is there's no roof over the large portion of the tent. The large portion of what we would call the tabernacle is just walls, right? Facing the east, there's an opening, just one opening. It's the, it faces the east, and it's in the very center of that wall. And so if you're picturing coming from the east, you walk into the tabernacle through that opening in the east wall. But when, and when you walk in, you're immediately confronted with the altar. The brazen altar is the first thing that you see. And if you stand at that door, you can't miss it. And it's a bloody mess. Behind that, if you look behind that, there are things you can see behind that. There's this basin. It's the laver. It's, it's a place of washing. You can see that. And then behind that, you can see an actual tent building that's behind that. Now, this makes reference to the fact that this says that they, uh, in verse 6, 
It says they went into the first tabernacle. So this is not the outer court where the walls are, the tent walls are. The first tabernacle is past the brazen altar, past the laver where they wash, going into that first set of, uh, basically a set of doors. You go in there, and that's the tabernacle. And nobody goes in there but the priests. No, and they go in every single day. Every single day they go in there. And they go in there and, they, and, they, and they, there's oil that burns in there. There's the table of showbread that's in there. And they go in and they accomplish the service of God as they're meant to every single day in that place. But inside, once you get inside there, you find out that there's a big veil. Very thick, very heavy veil. And guess who goes in past that veil? And the answer is nobody. And if you said, what's on the other side of the veil? They would say, well, that's where God sits. Oh, let's go in there. You can't go in there. Well, then you go in there. I can't go in there. Well, who can go in there? Well, the high priest can go in there. Let's go get the high priest. We'll let him go in. He can't go in there because it's not the Day of Atonement. He can go in once a year. And this is what you would understand. Well, that doesn't sound like an open door. Nobody can go in. Nope. Well, what separates us from him? I mean, what, why is that veil there? And the answer is because of sin. Sin separates us from him. And you would immediately, if you're honest, you'd immediately say, yeah, that that actually makes sense. I feel like my sins separate me from God. Is there any hope for us? Yep, there is a hope. There's a Messiah coming. And the Messiah is going to come, and he's going to accomplish everything that's necessary so that we could actually dwell with God. Oh, I can't wait for him to come. I can't wait. And so I would start to live my life as a Hebrew by trusting in the Messiah that's going to come. I want to have a relationship with God, and I can't wait till the Messiah comes so I can have an unfettered, an open relationship with God. But I'm going to worship the God who, who has made a way, all that blood that's being shed, to pay for my sins day after day after day, year after year after year. Thank God that God understands that my sins separate me from him, and he doesn't want to judge me. He doesn't want to condemn me. But boy, I sure wish I could have fellowship with him. Verse 7, but into the second veil went the high priest alone once a year, not without blood. That's the title of the message, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices, which could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and divers washings and cardinal ordinances imposed upon them until the time of reformation. But, oh, praise God. And this would be the change in music if you were listening to this. But Christ, being a high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Amen? Amen. You want to see this? You want to see this happening? Let's turn, you want to look at this for a moment. Turn in your Bible to Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15. This is, is, well, 
If we were not Baptists, we would shout. And some of us do anyway, praise God. Some of y'all are really not going to like heaven. Heaven's going to be a lot more fun than churches, I'm telling you right now. There's going to be a lot more singing. There's going to be a lot more. It's going to be louder. Let me just say that. Amen. I can't wait. I'll be honest with you. I can't wait. Amen. Some of y'all going to, you know, some of y'all going to sit in the back row. That'll be fine. Amen. I mean, I'm not trying to be mean or unkind. I'm just telling you, heaven is going to be wonderful. But I do believe that assembling in a Baptist church should be wonderful today. I have said many, many times when people said, why don't you guys seem, sing contemporary Christian music? And I say, because it's terrible. Because it's terrible. Because it's not godly. It's worldly. And they say, oh, but you guys are boring. No, no. The words and the hymns that we sing are not boring. The way we sing it is boring. That's a us problem. Fanny Crosby, I, I, I promise you, P.P. Bliss and Fanny Crosby, they enjoyed what they wrote down. They were rejoicing when they wrote it. I believe they rejoiced when they sang it. Amen? Well, we don't have time for this right now. Just, I'm just telling if you're here today and you say, boy, you guys seem a little bit dry. Yep, we do. I'm sorry for all my brothers and sisters that seem a little bit dry. Mark Crump was here. You could hang out by him. Amen? Because his, his wagon gets loose all the time. Amen? Which I really do believe is normal. I believe that's exactly what God wants to accomplish in our life. Matthew chapter 15, our Lord Jesus Christ is uh, Mark, excuse me, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 15. I mean, <laughs> earlier today, Don was, even Don was teaching Sunday school. We were in, uh, we were in um, Matthew. Suddenly he was in Mark. <laughs> and I, you know, I mean, I was taking copious notes. I don't know what I started to think about or whatever, but he said, he told us, look at verse 13, and it wasn't in verse 13. So I raised my hand and said, where are you? How embarrassing for the pastor. It's even worse if I'm preaching and I do it. <laughs> Mark chapter 15. Oh, dear. Mark chapter 15. <clears throat> and verse 37. Mark chapter 15, verse 37. Our Lord Jesus Christ is dying on the cross for our sins. And this is, this is the end of that. Now, I want you to notice what happens. Verse 37. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. Let me just say this before I move on. Jesus cried out with a loud voice and gave up the ghost because he wasn't too weak to live any longer. That's not why he died. He gave up the ghost. He didn't die because, oh, I just can't take it anymore. He didn't commit spiritual suicide hanging there on the cross. It was time. He had paid for our sins. And it's time to go. And so into the Father's hands, he commended his spirit. And he said this with a loud voice. He was not ashamed and he was not too weak to say it. It was just time to be done. But I want you to notice what happens as soon as he's done. It says that Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost and the veil. Remember that veil we were just talking about? That heavy veil that kept anybody from going into the Holy of Holies. And the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. Amen. It just, it, it, now, by the way, again, I don't have time to talk about how thick the fabric is. The thick, this fabric is so thick, you couldn't tear it, you couldn't cut it with a sword, and it just ripped from the top to the bottom. When it's finished, when Jesus, it is finished, the way to have full access to God is available for everybody and the, and the veil split right in half. And it opened up. Now, that's a wonderful thing. That's a, it is a wonderful thing. Now, I want you to notice what it says. And, the, and when the centurion, which stood over against him, saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, truly, 
this man was the Son of God. And yes, he is the Son of God. Now, let's go back to Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10. We were in Hebrews 9. We'll go to Hebrews 10. Again, the thing that you understand about Hebrews 8, 9, and 10 is they are really one very, very tightly tied together truth. And so we have to jump around a little bit from chapter to chapter just to stay in context. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 19. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now, I want you to recognize this is saying, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest. How? How? By the blood. By the blood. How? how? By the blood. The high priest went in Every time the high priest went in, he went in not without blood. If you go into the Holy of Holies today, you go in not without blood. Never. 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 You cannot go into the Holy of Holies without the blood. Now, let's look at it again. Having, therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest what? By the blood of Jesus. Now, I've preached this a lot recently, but I'm going to preach it again. I preach this a lot. And here's why. Because American Christianity does not understand this. American Christianity believes that because the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross and the veil was rent, I have unfettered access always to the will of God, always to the presence of God, just because I want to go in. And if I have a hard time, let's say I've done some things in my life I should not do, and I still want to have access to God, well, here's how you do it. You do some good things. After you do your good things, you put all those little good things in your little I did good thing basket. I'm telling you, fundamentalism is full of this. Putting stuff in I did good thing basket. And now I want to go into the presence of God. And here's the thing. You got to, I did some good things basket. Bring yours. We'll go together. We'll go boldly to the throne of God together with I did good things baskets. I handed out tracts because that's a good Christian thing to do. And it is a good Christian thing to do. But I handed out tracts. goes in my little basket. I was kind to my wife. goes in my little basket. I went to church, not just morning church. I went to Sunday school and the evening service. Fill my good little basket. Now I need to pray. There are things I need to go to God about. Well, bring your basket, brother. Bring your good works basket. Let's go see Jesus. No. Put your basket down. You insult the blood of Christ with your basket. You insult the Christ who died to be ever lived to make intercession for you with his blood with your basket. Put it down. Christian, stop accessing God with your good works. You cannot, should your life be full of good works? Yes or no? Of course it should. I'm a child of God now, amen? Right? I shouldn't behave like I did before. Why? Because God, I am his workmanship. I am his, he's doing wonderful things in my life. He gave me a new heart. 
Yes? He makes me care about things I never cared about before. He allows me, causes me even, to love you, to care about you. Praise God. It's wonderful stuff. But don't go see God with it. Don't justify yourself and go see God with your good works. Put it down. Go in because of the blood. Amen? Boldly. Boldly. Confidently. You say, but I'm not all that I should be. Nope, but your high priest sure is. Amen? Yeah, but there are things in my life that shouldn't be there. That's true. Praise God for a high priest. Yeah? We have such a high priest. By the way, who can be touched with your, the feelings of your infirmities. He's saying, Jesus says, I know what it is to be alone. Jesus knows what it is to do everything, feel everything we've ever felt except for sin. And I'll tell you what, I praise God that he doesn't know what it feels like to have my sin. He carried my sin and died for it. But he didn't live in it. Oh, praise God, he didn't live in it. By the way, if he had lived in it, he wouldn't be the high priest. He couldn't be the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. He is without spot or blemish. Yes? It is time, listen to me, it is time that Christians in America exalt their Savior that they exalt their Lord Jesus Christ, not their church, not their religion, not their denomination, not their pastor, not their Sunday school class, not their ministry, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? It matters. It changes everything. Because this is what happens. I've had a bad day. Can I go to the throne of grace? You can. Fall down right now. Listen, I don't know. When I go to the throne of grace, I fall down. I just fall down. Not always on the outside. But on the inside, I cannot go to the throne of grace without falling down. I am so humbly grateful that I can come in here and talk to you about what I need to talk to you about. My brother, my sister, they're going through a terrible thing right now. And I want to come in here on their behalf and beseech you. But I don't bring my little basket of good works with me when I come in. I come because of the blood. Amen? That's the message. If you, listen, now let me say this, by the way. There are some people in American Christianity that don't even care about the access. Don't even care, because they don't want to go anyway. I just don't think you're new creatures. I don't think you're born again. If you don't care about going before God, you're probably not saved. If, 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 not, if, if the idea of having to go only by the blood offends you, makes you angry, bothers you, you're probably not saved. Because I promise you, no child of God has ever been upset when they were told, you can only go by the blood. Okay. You can always go by the blood. Okay. Amen? That's your access. Okay. I, I, I appreciate the blood. Yes? I make much of the blood. As Kenny says, I don't know who, some group, Methodist, was it the Methodist, the modern Methodist, tried to take all the hymns of the blood out of their hymnal, and they forgot one. Which one was it? You'll remember later. You, which one? He knows. He does know. He just has his, the mem- his memories as good as mine, that's all. I put him on the spot. Later he'll stand up and you, sh- you shout it. He won't, I won't, I'll just be talking. He'll just stop and shout it. You know what I'm saying? No, I'm just kidding. It is the blood. It is the blood. It is the blood. It is the blood. If, if you have a righteousness, it's the blood. If you have forgiveness, it's the blood. If you have access, it's the blood. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's it. Having boldness to enter into the holiest of all, right into the presence of God. 
by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, through his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed by pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And then, you know what? And we don't have time to look at this. This will come up later. But then it says, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Yes? Not so we can fill our baskets, but just because Jesus is worthy that we live a different life than we were living before. Amen? He is worthy of that. By the way, you want to help your neighbor? You want to help your, your extended family member? You want to help anybody? You want to be a help to anybody? Let them see Christ in you instead of you in you. It, it will be a great benefit to them because they will come and say, how did you get to be like this? And you'll be able to say, honestly, Jesus did this. Not my church did it. Jesus did it. Surely not I did it. 